Hey folks, this is the Furious Franco Podcast, the first edition of the Furious Franco Podcast, where I hope to, I shouldn't say I am, because I really just hope to, I haven't really done shit yet, I've interviewed a couple people, but that's, that's essentially it, there's really nothing of substance, <laughs> yeah, you'll find out, you can, you can discover for yourself whether or not what I'm about to say holds up to scrutiny, <clears throat> but... What I want this podcast to be is uh, is really for me. I, I want to go around and talk to people uh, whom I find interesting. I want to talk to whoever I think has a cool idea, is doing something cool, or uh, is just of interest to myself. I myself, I'm a stand-up comedian who lives in Hamilton, Ontario. That is what I do. That is my life, essentially, or at least what I'm trying to make my life, essentially. Um, but I don't, my, my podcast isn't, uh, for those of you that know me, for those of you who know me as a comedian, that really isn't what this podcast uh, is going to be about, or at least not what I plan for it to be about. Hopefully humor is injected into here at different points, but I just want to talk to cool people. And uh, at, at times I'm sure that will be comedians. I'm sure I'll have some friends of mine on here. Hopefully not my friends. My friends aren't that funny. But uh, other people <laughs> perhaps are funny, are good. Um We'll be good to have on here. Uh, my first guest today is a fellow by the name of Stephen Tenholder. Stephen Tenholder. He is a really cool guy. I got lucky. Uh, I was at a uh, party for graduate students at the University of Waterloo because um, my girlfriend is a grad student there. And she basically introduced me to this dude who is a... Uh, the founder and CEO of a company called Acorn Cryotech. And what Acorn Cryotech does is they're looking at different ways uh, to preserve cells. They are trying and succeeding, I should say, in freezing and preserving for long periods of time real human cells. Uh, what are they doing with them? Well, the hope is that if they can freeze cells long enough, uh, they can actually take these cells and use them later when technology is finally developed, uh, and reimplant them into your own body as new cells. So let's say you take cells when you're 20 years old. By the time you're 50, you know you start. You might start. You needing your first treatment, your first stem cell treatments. They can actually use your own cells, and that's important because anytime you use cells that aren't your own, there's a chance your body will reject them. So it's really important to have as close of a genetic match as possible, and you can't get closer than having cells from your own body. Uh, it, we talk a lot about um, shit that interests me, the, the, the possibilities, the real-life possibilities of eliminating aging, uh, what that means in, in the pursuit of immortality. We talk about whether or not it's possible, whether or not it's desirable, Desirability is an issue for some people. A lot of people, a lot of stupid, a lot of stupid fucks out there. I say that ironically. Um, think that eliminating aging is a bad thing, and we talk about why uh, we disagree with that. And uh, just a super interesting guy, super fun to talk to, and I was lucky as hell uh, to have him on the podcast as my very first guest. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you guys to Stephen Ten Holder. You're listening to the Furious Franco Podcast. Raw, unfiltered talk about all things interesting with your host, Matthew Franco. Okay, I'm going to take my headphones off now because I know it's working, so we're good to go.
Okay, so Steve, um, first and foremost, I'll tell you guys how I met Steve. So I met you uh-huh. um, at my girlfriend's house two weeks ago, I think it was. That's right. Randomly, we were, we were hanging out, we were drinking, we were having a good time, and uh, all of a sudden, I, I forget exactly how it happened, but I think one of us brought up something about, oh, it was that we were talking about each other's degrees, and I mentioned that I had done... Um, I had focused on my undergrad in neuroscience. That's right. And you said you were super interested in that kind of area because of uh, the area you're in, which is? Uh, well, I uh, so I founded a company called Acorn, which preserves people's young cells with the idea that 30, 40 years down the road, it could be really useful. And one of the applications, although there are many, is neurology, right? The right. ability to recreate neurons and potentially use them in people's minds. And I guess that sort of has to be the, uh, like one of the crucial folks. Cause you can, if you can regrow the entire human body, but you can't generate neural cells, neurons, uh, you're not going to have that person there. We well, cause you're trying to maintain personhood in, 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 in someone, right? That's so. a really good point. And, yeah. uh, it's something that we thought was, you know, if you could regenerate the rest of the body and the brain is just too complex and the cells in the brain never regenerate. And, you know, how can you, you know, what's the point of living longer if your brain is still going to deteriorate? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, um, first and foremost, like I'm going to try and play dumb here because at first I, 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 it's been a long time since I did my <laughs> undergrad. Uh, my undergrad's in, in, uh, life sciences. So there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of overlap there. I, I know a little bit about stem cells, but I'm going to need refresher. I'm sure our viewers are going to need that too. So how did you even get started on this path towards creating your own company and idea of like preserving cells before we get into the nitty gritty of what you actually do. Sure. How'd you get into that in the first place? That's, um, you know, it's kind of a complicated question with different people. I go to different depths, mm-hmm. right? If I'm talking with somebody and you need a two minute explanation, how did you come up with the idea? Right. It's pretty simple. You know, I was a co-op student at Waterloo. I found a lot of negative 80 freezers at my jobs uh, and I had the, you know, because I'd always been thinking about longevity and longevity research, I thought, hey, if I'm going to be a professor 40 years down the road doing this research and, you know, I realized, oh, man, it would have been really cool to have my young cells to use to improve myself later on. Mm-hmm. Like, w- wouldn't it be a good idea to stash some of my cells today in each of those freezers? And so that's the explanation that I give to, to a lot of people. But um, I, I think in reality, it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, it's, it has a basis in, in my personal philosophy and how, how that changed as I grew up. Um, is that something you want to go into? Sure. I mean, so is, is that the idea of like, uh, so for let's establish is the goal of what you're doing is the goal of what you're doing essentially to make people, uh, if not, uh, live forever to live a very long time. Is that is longevity the goal of what you're doing, or is it better health? I mean, what what, what is it exactly? Or is longevity just a side effect of what you're doing? That is such a good question, and yeah. I think inherently we can't know. We can only say there's a good chance, or at least there's a better chance that if you preserve your young cells, mm-hmm. that you will have longevity. And I, in my mind, although you could also say, hey, I could be 80 years old with a 24 year old liver. If that's good enough for you, then great. But I think a lot of people also yearn for longevity. We want to see the flourishing of human civilization, and you can't do that in a grave. Right. Um, so I think, I, I, for me anyway, the most important part of this is longevity. But for a lot of pe- other people, including investors that think a little more um, in, in a more grounded way, they think, oh, this could be a future cure for you know kidney failure or heart 
transplants. I um, see. That kind of thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess because you, you got to look at it not only from uh, what do you want to do side, but what are people interested in? So I guess ultimately as a business, you have to be able to market this. To That's people, a good point. Right? That's, yeah. That's a very good point. And so um, on that, that's, that's kind of interesting. So what like what exactly are you doing? Like, so what is your company actually doing? So you're taking you're taking young cells. Okay. okay. So what what is a young cell exactly? <laughs> like, if you're an old person, do you have young cells? Like, how does this all work? That's a good that's a good question. Uh, so as an an old person, you don't have young cells. Okay. Um, so every fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you kind of are. Right? Like it's um so. It, it depends how old. I think, you know, being somebody that's 40 years old, yeah. uh, it still might not be too bad because if you're 80 and we have the technology to recreate a liver from cells within your body, mm-hmm. then, I mean, you'd still rather have a 40-year-old new liver than a an 80-year-old new I liver, okay. so to yeah. speak. So it's kind of diminishing returns as you get older, right. but it's not all or nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay, so uh, so for what you're doing, you want to get started as early as possible. Ideally, okay. but it doesn't need to be crazy early. Um, I think a lot of the information that people that make people healthy is still solid before they're you know say thirty. Mm-hmm. The peak of of a human is is something like twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. Um, so that would be you know ideal, yeah. And to um, so is your area focused more on cryo itself and then you're not, you, are you guys, are you guys going to be outsourcing the other, um, the future activities? Like obviously some of the therapies that you're hoping will, uh, increase longevity may not even exist yet. So the idea is that you're going to be preserving these cells now, uh, for the future, for, for when the technologies are available and for when people will then need them. Hopefully if you're young enough, those times will line up well. And so are you, is your company just doing the, I don't mean just as in like, that's like I mean like, is, <laughs> your, totally is, your, is your company focused on the cryo, like so basically preserving, pre- preservation, or are you guys also looking into actually changing these cells into like a pluripotent stem cell or something like that? That's, that's a really good question. So, I mean, for me, doing this company was not on the radar until very recently, actually. I had uh, just finished having conversations with, professors from the United States to go to a PhD there with gene editing and gene therapy. Um, And and that, that had always been my goal and it still is. I think doing this company will potentially allow me to have more freedom to do the research that I want. So you can imagine that if Acorn becomes something that's really popular and makes us a lot of money, then we have the funds to fund our own research to make sure that there will be some therapies available. Um, so that being said, it, it also is kind of like a, hey, we know that there are thousands of other really brilliant people out there working on these problems. We we are facilitating them. We are all cheering them on together. We want right. them to succeed. And I think they will succeed if we if we don't you know create this or if, if Acorn never existed, they will still succeed and create something amazing. Um, it's that what we're doing helps what they're doing. I see. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's, it, it's, it's a great way for someone just to at least, like, all you got to do is just have, like, so what, what, what do you guys actually do for extraction? What, what's your extraction method for these cells? What, what does someone have to do? That's a really good question. So uh, you go on the website. So right now, if you go on the website, there's just a reserve. So you can pay $5 and put yourself in line to be one of the first people. But when we go to launch on the website, eventually you'll be able to order the actual kit. 
and you'll, um, you know, that'll get sent to your house. Uh-huh. And the kit includes a brush um, and some tubes, some mouth rinse. So essentially, you know, you rinse your mouth, it clears right. it of bacteria, you brush your cheek, every cheek uh, interior, and then you rinse with some water, you put the water back in the tube, right. and you send that back to us. And that gives us over 200,000 of your cells. Right. Um, and these are cells that can be you know, converted to stem cells or investigated in the future for what it means to be young, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right, cool. So it's like a 23andMe kit, sort of. Have you ever done one of those things? Oh, totally. Those? Yeah. But the difference with 23andMe is that they only need to collect enough cells to do PCR. So that is... Um, they only need the DNA to be intact, which That's is a much more robust molecule than the entire cell. Right. You don't need like you need this. You need a well structured cell that you can basically fuck with. And yes. <laughs> yeah. You want, yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, that so and then that leads into the question a lot of people have is which is hey if you can just sequence your DNA and store it digitally on a computer then what's the point of preserving the cell if right. you have all of the DNA anyway well fucking ask a woolly mammoth we have woolly mammoth DNA seriously I mean like well, so yeah so what is the difference there what is the difference there so the difference is that um, there's a lot more that goes on with DNA than just the A, C, T's and G's mm-hmm. um, there, there are codes on top of the codes and then codes on top of those codes. So that is known as epigenetics. Right. And that's something that we still don't have a good grasp on mm-hmm. entirely. Um, so well, epi- epigenetics for, the, for folks who are listening are essentially, uh, it literally means above uh, the genome. That's what epigenetics means. So essentially it's the idea that um, uh, you, you're, it, it, it's differences and I, I could be wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it has to do with variances in uh, how the genes that you have are expressed. Um, that so you may have a gene, for example, that may code you for a certain amount of mito. This is actually a really common one. There's a, there's certain genes that program you to have a certain amount of mitochondria in your muscle cells, for example. But uh, the amount of mitochondria that end up getting uh, expressed um, it can vary depending on external factors like exercise and diet, for example, can affect how that's expressed. Um, is that sort of like, uh, do you want to add to that? Because I, I haven't taken this. No, that's, while, but. that's totally right. You can imagine that like the DNA in every single one of your cells is identical, but because different cells have to do different things in different parts of the body, then they have different like masks on top of the code mm-hmm. that say, okay, this cell expressed these proteins, this cell expressed these other proteins in this pattern. Mm-hmm. And that pattern is what gives the cells the specific characteristics that allow them to behave appropriately. Right. Okay. And so sequencing will only give you that base DNA. It will not give you what are the programs on top of that that make the cells um, uh, important to to what it means to be you in particular again. Right. Okay. I mean, so so okay. So does that have to do with um, like I'm trying to think of how to word this. So like, if does that have anything to do with what each cell will become like is I mean so if you're taking uh we, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks back when we first met and you'd mentioned to me I, I I'm not sure I'm not familiar with this stuff at all so you mentioned to me that there, there's actually research that suggests that you may be able to take a, a any kind of cell and actually uh, make that into a pluripotent stem cell which okay. is essentially a stem cell that can become anything if any not other kind of cell so w- which is very important you want 
Um, there are different types of stem cells for those of you who don't know. There are um, multipotent stem cells, there are pluripotent stem cells. There's one, so basically there's ones that are specific and that they can help regenerate certain types of things. But then there's some that we you really want that are pluripotent that can actually just regenerate whatever the fuck they want. And they can essentially like they're they are motherfuckers. They can do like that. That's essentially what you want. And that's what um, is derived from embryonic stem cells, for example, yeah. are typically those those pluripotent ones that you really want. Um, they're actually also deriving them from placenta now. I found out, which wow. is interesting. Yeah, apparently placenta is full of pluripotent stem cells, which is really interesting. Yeah, um, because it's a totally uh, Obviously, there's an ethical argument that some people would have against stem cell research, but you can't really. It's just it's just placenta. You're not using it anyways. That's right. Or at least some some crazy people are fucking taking <laughs> placenta pills and shit. But you know, that's, that's optional. Um, so okay, so is that is that true? Is there research that suggests that you can turn a regular cell into a pluripotent stem cell eventually? Absolutely. Okay, you talk um, about that. In fact, there are, oh, there are so many examples uh, recently. I forget exactly what organ they, I think it was the liver, um, but they took gum cells from a mouse. Okay. Just the gum cells. They changed them into the pluripotent stem cell, and then from that stem cell, they redifferentiated it into liver cells. They grew those up, and yeah. then they seeded a scaffold of a liver and reimplanted that into the mouse. Um, and that allowed the mouse essentially to have a new liver that its body would not reject. You can imagine you could just take a liver from another mouse and stick it into that mouse, but right. the body's going to be like, what the fuck? Right, this depending on how shit. much of a match it is, it can, yeah. Yeah, right. and so because it's... That's, that's a huge problem with uh, organ transplant. That's why they have to use things like, um, like some people get pig hearts or yeah. whatever, and because they're... So, because they're like the, at least some of the most uh, bioidentical hard stuff. Because you just use, and you can use a heart from any other, any other animal, but it's so different. And the body is basically treating it like a foreign invader, yeah. and it literally attacks it essentially. So, okay. so they've actually done this. So they, they've actually changed a gum cell into a liver cell and literally reimplant that into a mouse. Is that is this is that the full the full trial's gone through for that? Like um, I don't know about a full trial, but I I know that they, they, they published have, a paper in Nature Proof in of Nature? Concept. Holy shit, wow. Yeah. Um don't quote me on that. I it may not have been nature, but they, they published a journal in some sort of science book. <laughs> in a big in a big journal for sure. That's really cool actually. I've never yeah. even heard of that before. That's that's insane. Yeah. It's back back cool. when I was doing my undergrad, um, they were talking about that essentially being impossible. Yeah. That was, that was what the idea was. Yeah. Uh, that was the big like, high school and Catholic high school for the most part in Ontario is pretty non Catholic. But <laughs> one guy I had a religion teacher who was talking about how stem cell research was super immoral. And that was his argument was that in order to actually get an omnipotent stem cell, you would have to kill um, an embryo or a potential. Basically, you're, you're, so you're hurting something that could potentially become life. And I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not like I'm not here to talk about I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pro I'm pro um, pro choice, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a legit, you can at least, even if, um, even if you're pro-trace like myself, I can at least conceptualize why someone finds that, um, why someone doesn't like that, yeah. why someone doesn't like that, what we're doing, what we're, what we're doing there. Um, so this is super cool and completely, um, revolutionary if we can make that, um, viable, you know, Absolutely. that's wicked. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's get into this actually. So, um, we talked a little bit about uh, the fact that what uh, you're doing or what the um, and what the, what the whole field is doing may lead to something like Im Im immortality. 
Uh, I've been looking. I'm not sure if the, the, viewers here, the viewers here are familiar with a guy named Aubrey de Grey. Um, if you're not, look him up, Aubrey de Grey. He has two or three TED Talks that are uh, very interesting. And he not only focuses on the possibility of immortality, but he actually focuses on the uh, moral implications of immortality. And he is pro-immortality. He actually thinks it is a moral, uh, a moral position that is good. He um, uses the example of asking people if they think Alzheimer's disease is a good right. thing. And, of course, everyone says, no, Alzheimer's is bad. And he goes, well, who here thinks dying is a good thing? And most people kind of lean towards the fact that dying is a regular part of life, obviously. Like, death is just a part of life. Um, but you kind of – the only reason why Alzheimer's is bad is because it eventually leads to the downfall of your quality of life and your death. And so, same with same with cancer, same with um, heart disease, whatever all these diseases are. So, if all these, if the reason why we're preventing is if you don't want people to die, then why aren't we focusing on stopping death itself? The argument of, for that is that well, we can't stop death, so it's 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 a, it's sort of irrational and not a good use of our time uh, to worry about death and just to accept it as a part of life. But with research that you guys are doing, it now becomes this whole other thing where we're like, okay, well, if we can actually stop death, should we do it? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Can you just, what are your thoughts on that? Man? Uh, it's such an interesting question. And I think um, there are two ways to answer it. You can answer it from a very personal and kind of selfish perspective, or you can answer it from a societal, you know, utilitarian perspective. Um, so personally, there is there is the feeling that no matter what, I, if there is a way, there there it, it'll be done, right? Like I, if if I had the option, you know, hey, you're going to be you know violating a bunch of moral things, a bunch of people are going to get offended, you know, you're people aren't going to be as happy, but you won't have to die. Mm -hmm. Inherently, there is just not having to not exist seems like like there, there's nothing that would be not worth trading that for. And I, I know I used a lot of double negatives there, but it seems to me no, that it. it seems to me that like, you know, non-existence is so prohibitive. You know, the opportunity cost is, is so great. It, it seems like from a personal perspective, there's little that I wouldn't try to do to make it happen or right. to make it not happen. So, Absolutely. Sorry. Death, death, death being the thing. Yeah. To make, happen. to make death not happen. Yeah. Um, from a societal perspective, I think it's much more challenging. As that, that's where it gets tricky. Oh yeah. yeah. On, a, on a personal level, I'm like, I'm all for it. I don't want to fucking die. Personally, I don't want to die. Yeah. I, I don't want to die. And I think that, you know, even, um, I, I suppose if you, if you believe in an afterlife that, uh, like that fear is sort of mitigated, um, but let, let, speaking of things that you know we, we, we can prove, like I, I don't, yeah, I don't uh, subscribe to a natural. I don't really think that there is one, or at the very least, I don't think there's any reason to believe that there is one. And uh, so, getting that out of the way, it um, <laughs> it behooves you not to strive for it in a sense, on a personal. Level. But then, yeah, this is like like we already have what some people call overpopulation, especially in certain areas of the world. And, um, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think you're going to implement some kind of, like, um, birth control policy? I mean, like, is that going to be – like, if you – let's say if you choose immortality, like, are they going to then have to limit you to, like, one kid or something like that? Or, sure. Or even, I don't know. Like, what do you do? Um, so, I personally, I don't have children anyway, so I don't think it will be a problem for me. But with um, – you know, 
Yeah, with a lot of people that would want to have children. Well, here's the thing. You have a relationship that, that says that the better the standard of living, the fewer children people tend to have. And that in fact, means, it's, yeah. it seems to be a problem in some European countries that, that people are, are having too few children. Right. Um, and although it seems counterintuitive, that's actually a concern for you know the human population decreasing. Um, yeah. It seems to be that most of the population increase we're seeing is from areas of the world where people are less privileged and have less... Um, confidence that they're going to live a long life or that their children are going to live a long life. Right. Um, or, yeah, the, um, like if you take, I think the lowest life expectancy is in uh, Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like 55, wow. I believe. I could be, I, I could be wrong with that. I should, I should look that up. Actually, fuck it. I'll look at that right now. I can do that. Like, I can have a computer right here. <laughs> Here's a computer. Let's look that up, actually. So, I'm actually curious about this. Um, I remember uh, at one point, I know for sure it was Afghanistan at one point, the life expectancy of males was. I think below, I think it was below 50. Um, okay. Actually, you know what? I'll use my fucking dick. <laughs> if you, if you ask Siri, maybe she can tell you. Let's try it out. Yeah, ask Siri. Oh, here we go. Siri, who's dying? No, okay. It won't let me use Siri while I'm recording. No, I got it. We're good, we're good. <laughs> um, but I think, interestingly, the, like, it, it's very short-sighted of us to think, Hey, because because people today were having a problem with overpopulation. How, how is it that that you know that's not even going to come close to being an issue a hundred years from now, right? Like, right. Um, it, just cut me off as soon as you find it. No, um, no keep, keep going, man. Yeah. The I don't know if if you hear about Audrey, Aubrey de Grey, then you yeah. probably have also heard of um, uh, Ray Kurzweil, who's somebody that yes. talks a lot about the and future. He, he he's uh, Currently, he actually has. I haven't listened to it yet, but they have an interview together. I really want wow. to listen to. Uh, it was an hour-long conversation between the two of them. Um, uh, what's, what's his name again? Kurt uh, Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. So this guy, I actually I saw him when I was twelve years old wow. on the Discovery Channel. So essentially, he's drinking green tea and popping pills to try and oh, yeah. uh, to try to extend his life right now. Um, so he's taking a proactive. His idea is he's trying to live as long as he possibly can right now, so that he can, um, so that he can uh, extend his life long enough to be around for these therapies that guys like Aubrey de Grey are trying to develop. And so, sorry, go go on there. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, he's touting something like a singularity, right? Where in, in the the pace of technology becomes so fast at some point that we we as humans can't even keep up with. Uh, the new new advances and and the, the you know the idea that the world is going to be anything like what it is today at a personal level um, 100 200 years from now if we get life extension and we live to 200 sure we might have some overpopulation problems or some food supply problems but you know like by then we're likely going to be uploading our consciousnesses to a supercomputer or something weird like that you know it's okay, not we're not going to have the those, same you're those freaks eh? you well, that's <laughs> not no i get that i actually i actually it is kind of weird that we just carry around our we, we carry around our consciousness in these bags of fucking flesh and water you know what i mean it's true though like we, we our 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 whole uh, our, our body is a body is a really strange concept because yeah. if theoretically if you subscribe to the theory that um basically the wet matter inside our brains is nothing special and that it can be replicated in, in, in some other kind of medium. Um, then the idea of a body, and I think it scares a lot of people, including myself, not um, on like an intellectual level, but just on an emotional level. When I think about not being uh, a human being, essentially, 
that scares you. But so I, I the idea is that you're uploading your consciousness onto some kind of mainframe, onto something so that you're, you no longer have to worry about your body failing you. That's yeah. essentially what you're talking about, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of, like immortality, or I should call it having an indefinite lifespan, you know, people that are just like, hey, I don't have an expiration date. Um, I don't think we're going to have um, the kind of uh, food shortage problems or overpopulation problems. I think bigger problems are going to be uh, around social justice, actually. People feeling like they're missing out. People like, you know, it's, it's really going to be the, the top 10% of, of the world in terms of wealth that's going to get access to these technologies at first. That's true. And a lot of people are going to die in a lot of other countries who existed at a time when if they were only a little luckier, they could have also jumped on board. Right. Um, and so it's going to be like a lot of other things where it's, you know, how many people are getting Tesla Model S's right now? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, yeah, they're coming out with the Model 3 and it's much more affordable, but, you know, it's still maybe two years away. You could die by then, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's I think those are going to be bigger problems. Did you find the, the statistic on... I did, yeah. <laughs> so right now, so Afghanistan has climbed up the ranks. They're, uh, they're now um, ranked uh, 192nd <laughs> in the world. They're at, they're at 47. The lowest right now is the Central African Republic at 45.91 years of age. Wow. That, that's, that, that's, that's the average. It's like Rome. That, that, that means there's a whole bunch of people dying early. That, that means half the people there are could be dying earlier than that. Yeah, that's totally. insane. That's totally. that's crazy um, to think about. Uh, Sierra Leone, which we all, even Zimbabwe, which I don't even think of as that. It, it, it's become such a stereotypical third world country. That I almost don't consider it third world anymore. Yeah. You know, um, that they're only forty six. That's insane. Yeah, and uh, and the women there are only forty seven. So that's um, it's like ancient Rome. That's it's cra it's crazy, man. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, that's actually a point that Aubrey de Grey brings up is that even if you look at like the the, the best um, the, the life expectancy the life expectancy of um, the highest nation uh, 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 of uh, Japan right now which is ranked number one in life expectancy is only uh, it's 80 for males and 83 average that's not that long right so there's a difference between us being able to, over the ages, improve the average lifespan and our ability to extend the maximum lifespan, right? right? There's still a physical limit on the oldest a person can get, even if you give them all of the best circumstances, the absolute best nutrition, and that number is at about 121 years old. Right. So that is, um, so uh, for people, so certain things that can happen. So essentially like there, there, there's lots of different things that can happen, and Aubrey de Grey, I believe, outlines seven uh, ways that your, your body ages. But even if you eat perfectly healthy, you exercise all you want, um, your DNA literally starts not being able to replicate as well. You have these things on the end of your um, on the end of your uh, DNA called telomere caps. I believe they're called, yep. and they basically protect your. So every time you your DNA gets replicated, which happens every time you form a new cell, which we all are doing all the time, yep. um, that cap that's protecting your DNA gets shortened, and eventually it withers down away completely. So that every time you replicate, it doesn't replicate fully. It doesn't replicate nearly as well. So even if you do everything right, that still is going to happen unless you can have have some sort of therapy that will you know, essentially mitigate that. Yeah. 
So uh, so 121 is essentially the... 121 is the number, and that's related to uh, something called the Hayflick limit. Okay. So when scientists were first taking cells out of people and putting them into essentially liquid nutrient mm -hmm. and seeing that, hey, look at that, the cells can divide on their own outside of the body. That is super cool. We can right. study them. Um, they found that every once in a while, randomly, the cells would just kind of all die. And then, you know, the experimenters were saying, ah, this is early days. Yeah, I must have done something wrong, whatever. But it happened all the time in all of the labs across the world. And it took a guy named Hayflick to recognize that it wasn't just random. In fact, the cells stopped dividing after a certain number of divisions. And that number of divisions depended on how young this, the, the organism you took them from was. So a baby would have like you know, 50 replications, right. but somebody who was in, in their eighties would maybe only have 20 replications left mm -hmm. before the cells would just stop dividing at all. Um, and longer lived animals have longer Hayflick limits. Right. So it's called the Hayflick limit. I see. Okay. Pretty so cool. that, 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 I, I've never even heard that actually. That's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah. 121 and even that, yeah, that's not bad. I mean, it's better than nothing. 121 is a good life. I mean, it's much better than uh, any other primates. You know, um, humans have actually very long lifespans for, you know, their, their metabolism and for, for everything that they do. Right. Um, we should, yeah, definitely be grateful for it. But I mean, you know, in, in the perspective of, of a civilization, you know, civilizations live and die on the uh, millennia uh, timescale. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the most exciting civilization, the one we live in now, the one that might journey to the stars and figure out what's at the, at the, you know, fundamentals of the universe and the cosmos. Right. You know, we're going to miss that because we have to die. Absolutely. And that's, that, that, that's what gets interesting too, is if we're going to, um, if we're gonna actually live um, super long, let, you, you, let, let's let's say let's say even if we live, let's say the average lifespan um, gets pushed to two hundred years or whatever. Um, if we ignore um, mortality, what is it? Uh, mortality. Oh, velocity. immortality versus yeah. long indefinite lifespan. What was that? No, what, what's the escape velocity thing? Oh, um, longevity escape longevity velocity. Longevity escape velocity. So longevity escape velocity is another interesting idea, which I th I would assume uh, the success of um, your company depends on in some in some instance, I suppose. Um, the, the, or, or am I wrong in saying that? Um. Yeah, so I think like the like the success of our ultimate vision to live longer okay. and to live for a long, long time, then yes. Right. But I mean, people could still live healthier, longer lives right. okay. as a result sense. of what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess what I meant by that was that um, longevity escape velocity, kind of like your company. So your company is freezing cells right now and trying to use whatever reason. And you guys are essentially... Um, you guys are uh, conducting uh, conducting research and banking on research to be there for people in the future. Yes. Um, within their lifetimes. Within their lifetimes, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> more than ideally. <laughs> it has to be within more their than, More than ideally. <laughs> uh, so the idea with longevity escape velocity is that uh, let's say the let, let's say uh, there's someone living right now who is able to get some kind of generic therapies. Uh, they're, they're anti-aging and they end up living to 100 and those those things can extend their life to 150 mm -hmm. the theoretically if that person ends up living to 150 with those therapies the longevity escape philosophy um, proposes they may actually end up living to a thousand 
because once they get to 150, even though those therapies were only good to 150, by the time he's 150, they'll probably have newer and better therapies that can extend his lifetime, even let's say it's another 100 years or 200 years, and then that will just keep catching up. So in theory, the first person to um, be 150 will could theoretically be immortal if you believe in longevity escape velocity, which does make sense. It's just the idea of progress being made. So as long as we don't blow ourselves up or something like that um, or revert to the Middle Ages, then uh, it might be true. Um, where was I going with that? I totally fucking forget now. <laughs> I totally forget where I was going with that. Um, okay, so actually here, here, so if we, here's what I was going with that. So if we have people who are living to 150 or 200 or 300 or 1,000, whatever it is, it, it brings in another interesting thing that I heard about on, uh, I think it was on the Joe Rogan Experience, actually, which we talked about before the show. Um, it's a podcast I really listen to a lot. And uh, he had Aubrey de Grey on there, and they were talking about how it could change people's outlook on life. If you have someone who's lived, um, let's say, 200 years, just a perspective that that person has would be really interesting. I'm wondering which way it would go. Would the person develop um, – would a person be more callous and cold, having seen more things, and how, or, or just not caring about people as much? Or – would someone with that long be more patient and really want and really would that finally be something that that got us past um, sort of this short term thinking and have us looking into to, to the, the future more? Um, because if, you, if you're going to live to 200, 300, or 1,000, uh, you're going to give a shit about things like the environment or right. uh, like infrastructure or whatever the hell it is. You're going to care about those things because. They're going to matter to you. You have to care about them in a sense. It's a really good point. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Um, yeah. No, I, I think you're probably right. Although, I mean, we're still human. And I think, you know, we have a lifespan that's, that's you know, potentially 100 years. Yet mm-hmm. most of us make decisions on the two to three year scale Yeah. Um, very often. And there, there are still a lot of people that could potentially live a long time that still have mindsets like that. Right. Um, I think another interesting question is, what does it mean to still be you? Um, because you know, I, I don't know how much you ident- I don't know how much you identify with your four-year-old self. Right. But in a way, the four-year-old version of you will never exist again. Right. right? They're dead and gone, even if you replaced them. Mm-hmm. If you're going to live to be 400, 500, your name will probably change. Your your personality will change a lot. Your friend group, what you do, what you're interested in, and after two thousand years, you might even find that you're you're finding it hard to remember what it was even like to be somebody who was twenty five, yeah. or or what that experience was at all. You don't recognize them, or you don't associate with them. So, is it even possible? Like, what does it mean to unless you gave yourself amnesia every once in a while yeah. and you reverted back, but is that really satisfying? Is it so satisfying to live life having amnesia all the time? It's interesting. And I all know what the answer to that is. <laughs> no, I, I it's, this, this is something I've thought about a lot. Um, consciousness in general is, is I, this is going to, uh, for, before I get it, this is going to get, this is going to get weird. Um, <laughs> this is going to, we're, we're going to get into some weird shit right now. It's good. Um, at the moment. And, um, actually, you know, before I get into, I'm actually going to go, uh, I'm going to take a piss actually. So, Let's go pause this for a sec. Dun, 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 pause. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're good. Yeah, so this is a whole other 
This is, this is weird. I actually, I read a book. I read a book. I, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on this, but like, I read a book, and this, this shit interests me uh, because it's so fucking weird, and I can't even wrap my head around it. I, uh, I read Sam Harris's book, uh, Waking Up. Um, I read all, I think I've read, I've read most of his work. It, it's interesting. I really like it. But um, this one really fucked with me because he talked about, he started breaking down this idea of, uh, of, of a self. And, uh, which I think has to do with what you're talking about. So you're talking about, you know, when you feel like a different, like if I, if you're four years, like if I think back to when I was four, I don't identify with that person. You know, I, I feel like it's a continuation. I do feel like it was all the same self. But when I think about that, I don't like that wasn't me. I thought even, yeah. you know, even two weeks ago, um, you know, if you're stressed at work, like, I, 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 I wasn't myself. People use that excuse all the time, like when they get mad or when they're when they fuck up or whatever. It's like, oh, I wasn't being myself. I'm sorry or whatever. It brings up a whole new thing. Like uh, he, the examples that he brings up too are like uh, the continuation of self. So if you um, people who get knocked out and have amnesia or whatever, something that happens. And they have no memories of their past. Because you would think that would like memories, okay, that, that might be what makes you feel like a self. But no, these people still feel like a self. The continuation of who they are doesn't seem to be interrupted. Like they, they, they feel like they, they, they have a sense of self, yet they have no memories. Um, people with split brain syndrome, where their, um, uh, their corpus callosum is cut, uh, for surgery, for uh, usually used for epileptic seizures, when it's cut, they literally have two different halves of the brain that aren't communicating with each other. Yet each half seems to have a sense of self. Even with the, I, I don't. This How does whole, that even work? I, I don't know. So weird. It's, it, this idea of self is interesting, and if you are, if you live a thousand years, if you live two thousand years, um, are you even going to have the? Do our will our brains? You have the capacity to remember what we did when we were a mere 80 years old. <laughs> and again, this brings us back to us imagining that a 2000 year old you is just going to be like what you're seeing right now. You sit yeah. on the couch, but I mean, come on, we're going to replace our bodies with better yeah. bodies by then. Even if it's not right down to the brain and like our reptilian complex and mm-hmm. the parts of the brain that have been identified as being like, that is where your consciousness mm-hmm. kind of likely sits. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be so different. I think, it's we're going to make ourselves more intelligent. So that's one thing that at least excites me. Um, If you look at the difference in intelligence between like a chimpanzee and a human, Mm -hmm. and you look at the kind of differences in emotion, I I, I feel like we probably feel love much more strongly and in a more complex and fantastic way than chimpanzees have the capacity. And of course, dogs even less and mice even less. Um, So what's it going to look like? Raw emotions, less nuanced emotions. That's right. And what's it going to look like when you have something that is the same distance in terms of intelligence between a chimp and a human and a human and the next thing. Right. And I, I, I just, I feel like we're just so naive now and if, if only we can have a glimpse into what that might be like, right. then maybe we can actually come to make some sense of of all of this and a lot of the things that are, are very perplexing to us, like the what we're talking about now. Right. That's, uh, I, I hope so. I, I, I can't figure it out. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, have, I have a question. About, um, what was it about? So if you're – at what point um, – 
so let, let's say theoretically we have um, we we live two thousand years, and uh, let let's take out for now. Actually, you know, for now let's let, let's take out the um, the idea of uploading consciousness. Let's just, let's take that off the table for a second. Let's say we were living two thousand years, and it's our own bodies. Uh, if we don't feel like, or if, if that self can't can't identify with the cells we have now, is there a point? Is there like a, is there an age, or is there a point where you identify so little with yourself now, like your current self? Is is there a point where it just becomes like, well, why don't we just die? Is that is that is that you think that that reaches a point where death becomes a good option if you if you don't feel like a, if you don't feel like you have a continuation of self i mean that's the only thing that's driving me is i feel that i want to continue this yeah. fucking stream of consciousness that i'm on or does that matter does it you that's know a good point. or does does that matter is it is it just a feeling of having that 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 day-to-day persistence of consciousness that's more important than the actual overarching gap which i think is probably which I think is probably the case. What do you, what, um, I, I think psychologically a lot is at play here um, because really it actually wouldn't be that bad. You're right to just kind of have what we have as our consciousness continue, yeah. even if we're changing. Maybe that doesn't matter so much. I think what matters to us more is the idea that um, there there is some fear associated with the actual act of dying, right? right. And yeah, so then, that's true. That's true too. And, yeah, and, I never thought about that. And, and so for us, it seems like, uh, you know, exploring these questions of does it, you know, will it be me or will it not be me? It's not like we could ever be convinced by a philosopher who's like, no, it's totally not going to be you. You're still not going to be like, all right, I guess I'll die at 80 then. Yeah. You're like, you're just going to like, okay, I guess I'll go through with that because yeah. it seems so much better than the alternative. The alternative. Well, I think right? that's the key, right? Is yeah. that even, I, I always, I always hate when people, um, assume like you said, People, this, this is a little off topic, but I think it I think it fits well. People talk about um, the idea of suicide being selfish, and I get I understand what they mean. People are like you know, it's, some people say Robin Williams' suicide was selfish. He had money, he had a wife, he had kids, and he took his own life. But it's not like when you die, you're just basking in your death somewhere. Like you're dead. There's nothing to enjoy about it because there is nothing there, theoretically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're not a Christian or something like that. But, like, I think that's, the, like, it, like the, you have to always assume that the alternative is, like, the only reason to die is because you think it's a better alternative than living. Yes. But is nothing, is nothing, like, literally nothing better than life in, at all? Maybe. I mean, if your life is, is entirely suffering – Maybe you could make an argument that um, death is better. Um, it certainly would feel better in time because you would just want to end whatever's happening. It's a release. But 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 it's not like you're ending it and then going into another stream of consciousness where you are okay. Yeah. There is just nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So although it's a completely uh, you couldn't convince someone like someone who's in ridiculous pain, you couldn't convince them not to want to die. I assume if they're like really bad, it's inescapable. But I think on like a theoretical level, like death probably isn't better. It's just, there's just nothing, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, agree. Know. I agree. It's a strange thing. And so I think on that, on that, what you talk about there, like, I think I would rather just continue my conscience on a day to day level uh, forever than just not have it at all. You know? I think an interesting thought, um, and this was something that I 
when I was first thinking about these things, I, I just, I went to Wikipedia. I was like, yeah, because yeah, I was unsure. And I was like, oh yeah, there's gonna, like the answer is really kind of going to be there in, in a weird way. So you just look at, for example, Lucretius, who's one of an older, an older philosopher thinking about these things. He made an analogy with what it felt like before we were born. Um, yeah. in, a, in a sense, we have experienced what nothingness is like because right. we had that. Well, I mean, had, it's kind of weird to say that, but like, that is what was before we were born. And just like, look back and think like, how long was that? Was that an infinity before we were born? Yeah. In a way it kind of was. Yeah, um, and so then, you know, why don't we fear that? Why, why don't we feel all kind of murked up about yeah. that sensation? Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to answer that question properly. Yeah, it's the old saying of, are you afraid of death? Uh, and someone says yes, and they say, well, are you afraid of 1845? Yeah. I say no. It's like, well, it's the same idea, because yeah. you were around then, you were right. around death. Yeah. I get that argument, but here's why it's fucking bullshit. Okay? <laughs> it's bullshit because um, you're, like, you when you die, like, you have no reason to think that you're ever going to experience consciousness again. That's right. If I, I'm not afraid of what has already happened. I, because I know that, like, you know, I wasn't alive before I was born. I understand that fact. But I'm born now and I have consciousness. And the only way to fear is to have consciousness. And now that I have it, I really want to hold on to that shit because I know that I'm probably not going to experience it again if I die. And I just, does that make sense? Like I'm, I, I, my, my, my concern is just, that I, I want to continue the experience of consciousness. And if I die, it's just not going to happen. People, I also heard a similar analogy where people say, well, every night you go to sleep and you're not conscious then. So why are you afraid of death? Well, when I go to sleep, I'm not assuming I'm never going to wake up. That's right. If I went to bed every night with a 50, 50 chance of never waking up, I'd be fucking terrified to go to sleep. You know, and so that's why I'm terrified to, to die. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is right I don't true. mean terrified as in like I go around fearing and it's all like a day to day fear, but it's like a logical sort of thing where I'm like, yeah, I would prefer not to do that. Yeah. Um, in, in, in my thoughts about these things in my past, I've come up with different ways that maybe actually through science somehow there's a reasonable expectation that after I die, there is something potentially else. And an interesting thought was, and this is going to connect the beginning of the podcast and, and Acorn back and literally okay. what we're talking about, um, is that let's say we do make it to 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 yeah. years, um, and we get a little bored because, you know, although there's the flourishing of human civilization, you know, it's kind of slow between the stars. Um, wouldn't it be an awesome experience to relive what you went through when you were first born and the feeling of having, you know, uh, all this angst about dying and uncertainty about the world and no answers that would be enthralling for somebody who had all the answers and just sat on them for a long time. Yeah, okay. So what if you and I right now are literally going through that? In fact, our bodies are sitting, you know, 3000 years into the future somewhere and they're just going through a virtual reality exercise of reliving their youth and their past. Okay. And so when we die in this experience, we just kind of wake up again 3,000 years in the future. That's interesting. Is that like, so is that like kind of like a solipsist view or not really? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's a solipsist. Well, yeah, I guess it would because then this whole thing is really just a... Um, like we don't really exist right now. That's, yeah. This is, yeah, it's like a movie being played in front of our eyes. Right. Okay. Um, 
and but it's just a virtual reality one where you have haptic I, feedback. Yeah, I, I've heard people talk about that before. So there are some people who say there's like a certain there's a pretty high chance that like that's what we are because you think about well, will humans ever get to a point where virtual reality is the exact same as the real human experience? Yes, and then like, if that's there, then maybe we are all just living in a virtual reality right now. Yeah, um, and, and in fact, maybe it's more probable. Because maybe yeah yeah because if you can create a thousand universes with a supercomputer and in those universes you have universes then they're all simulated and I can count like three trillion of those in infinity yeah. and why do we say ours is like the original? It's interesting and then I wonder what what happened to people in in these universes. Let's say theoretically this is like a virtual reality universe where people are still dying. So I wonder what happens when you die in that universe? Do you just wake up? <laughs> Uh, ooh, that's a harder question. You know, do you, do, do, does the does person just wake up and take off the fucking goggles and then, uh, you know, yeah, well, just good. take a look at the Matrix? Like, I have no, or you know, wake up in the Matrix? I have no idea what happens there. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not I'm not smart enough to to to, to say that that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> do you think you would put yourself in that situation? Because right now, if we're in that situation, apparently we also have amnesia because yeah. we don't remember that we can end the game. Um, I actually think that I, I actually think that's a uh, here's why I actually don't think that that because this actually plays into why I think if reincarnation is real, which it probably isn't, but even if it is, it, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at if you look at that idea of like okay, we're gonna we're gonna go back and relive these experiences, um, we're conscious during this, and we're but we have we're like we're I'm not enjoying this experience in the context of being an old person. I'm just reliving it. So what pleasure does that person get out of it? If Does that make sense? Like, unless they're yeah. watching it, like, for 2,000. Yeah. You know, you, in order for that to be a realistic option, you have to gain derive pleasure from that. You have to derive. So theoretically, you have to be going back, living all these experiences, but you still be conscious that they're not actually what's happening right now. Ah, here's the solution. So um, let's say you, you relive your experiences and you relive maybe to the year, you know, until you're 550 years old or something, mm -hmm. because after that, you know, things, some things are exciting, but in fact, they're kind of more yeah. boring-ish. Once you get to that age through this experience, then you just skip forward, like you kind of fast forward the mm -hmm. memories and stuff to catch back up. And then it, you are that same person again, and you enjoyed those things, right? You weren't just watching from a okay, periphery. Okay, so it was you were in some sort of weird amnesic state while you were living it, I and then you just, <laughs> no, unless you remember going through it, yes. I don't, I don't see the point of it, you know? Because unless unless you can get to the finish line and real, like, what what's the point of just living life twice? It, it's the same as dying essentially, because you're you're ending your stream of consciousness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like, like if you plug into the fucking matrix and say, I'm going to relive my life, but you don't remember that you plug yourself into the matrix. What's the point? Then what's the point? Yeah. I guess it'd be like having a dream at night, right? Your yeah. It's like, having, exactly, ends, it's like having a dream. Yeah. And, and you don't actually remember a lot of the dream. That's a good point. If you can wake up from the dream, like if you can wake up from the matrix, like you wake up from a dream, then it'd be cool as fuck. It's like taking mushrooms, basically. <laughs> it's like, that's essentially what you're doing. That's a good point. That's actually, okay. You well, that's virtual reality, essentially, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's just one big LSD trip. That's actually, okay, that could be, that's interesting, actually. I could see that being, uh, I, I could see myself wanting to do that, actually. Well, then you'll want to buy the Oculus Rift or HTC Vive. What's that? 
Because those are the virtual reality headsets. In fact, I have one here. You have one here? Well, no, I have Google Cardboard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the other ones cost like $700. But this is the idea. So oh, put this, shit. Put this uh, head-mounted display on. Okay, so for those your... of you listening to this podcast, I am putting on... Um, I don't know what this is. I can't... This is... Yeah, it's like a, a pair of goggles, with like this. dive mask goggles he put over his head, yeah. and they cover his vision, and in front of his eyes are two lenses, and those both focus on an image just beyond them, um, which right now for him is just this like polygon, yeah. but I can load up a program on my phone, which creates a stereoscopic view of the world, and then as you move your head, because your phone has accelerometers, it can pretend like you're actually in some virtual world, and move where you're looking to match. So that it's like, world. A, like a 3d camera type of thing. Like, uh, kind of here. I'll, I'll put it on your head. Be, and you can okay, experience so it. <laughs> what he's going to do right now is basically take his iPhone and use that as this, as my virtual reality matrix. He's going to put it in this thing. <laughs> a very like, primitive I, version. Yeah. I'm actually really excited for this. Uh, yeah. Keep it on your head. Keep on, keep on Sorry. Head. It's just loading on my no phone. No worries. Yeah. Okay. I am going to, all right. So I'm going to enter outer space. Holy shit. Okay. Okay. This. Okay, but this is actually insane. I am in a DMT trip right now. <laughs> no, I, I actually mean it. I am. Um, that is so cool. Yeah. Maybe you can try the whole thing after, since I'm sure for viewers. It's... Yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> put it short. But oh my god, this is so cool. And you don't even have the headphones on. Oh my god! I like. Yo, yeah. fu- fuck reality, man. This is. <laughs> This is so cool. So HTC and Oculus Rift have uh, headsets that are optimized. Oh They're way better, and they have controllers that actually reflect in the real world. Yeah. And they also have translational motion, which means that you don't just turn your head, but you can also go like this and actually move around. Wow. Uh, yeah, oh, my God. Translationally. That is a trip. Very cool. That is actually really cool. <laughs> Here, I'll give you your phone back. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> wow. So that's a completely different world there. <laughs> oh, actually really so and you made this you, you made um this headset yourself basically uh yeah although the designs are from google okay, i so. just bought my own cardboard and i got my own lenses i see okay yeah cool wicked that actually worked really well <laughs> okay so let's talk about let's get into this we, we, don't, we were talking about this before the podcast uh sorry actually so uh you used to be something called a Christian scientist. What the? What, what is that? That's, and that's. Funny. I have no. I've never. I've never heard of a Christian. Well, I, I've heard of scientists who are Christian. Yes. But Christian scientist is a religion. It is a religion on of itself. Yeah. Is is it is it actually a branch of Christianity? Um. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's let's, let's go for it. Okay. So um. Okay. So what they believe let's get behind the music going here. What they believe in essence is that um the world is created by by what you believe like physically and literally so and and what they believe is that Jesus in fact that is how he cured people he saw just so thoroughly that they were actually well and not sick that him just knowing it strongly enough made the person well and they believe that the bible was actually kind of like an instruction manual on how to do that ourselves how to be able to have those healing powers. Okay. Um, like literally people in Christian science believe they have healing powers. Like that is, that is the thing. Um, 
But it, it should theoretically extend beyond just healing people. If that is true, then it should influence the entire world. And I remember when I was young. So whatever you truly believe is real is real. So, for example, they believe that if everybody in the world believed simultaneously, like really believed at their core, like really, really believed that they could all fly, then they would. They would just all be able to fly. Um, wow. And, and this came to a stark contrast in my life when I was a kid at a hotel. Uh, and there was a pool with a pool cover on it, wow. but I didn't know about pool covers. I had no idea what they were. To me, it just looked like like a, a floor mat that was kind of mushy, maybe, yeah. and it'd be fun to step on. Mm-hmm. So, of course, so I go just, and fucking step on it, yeah. and I fall right through. Uh, and, of course, I'm a little kid. I scream, yeah. and I make, make a big hustle about it. But then it, it occurred to me, hey, that shouldn't have happened. If, if my belief was so strong that that was solid, yeah. then I should not have fallen through. Wait, so did you grow up in this religion? I did. So your parents are Christian scientists? Uh, my mother is a Christian scientist. Your mother was... So you actually... So this isn't something you, you joined to just mm-hmm. rebel in high school or some shit? No, like, no, this no. Is this, actually, is, this is what I was raised on. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Was it was it hard to to, to question it? Like, what, what, did, no. What, what would your parents I say? I think... I like, so my dad was very nonchalant about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. My mom was the one who was the serious believer, and... Uh, for some reason, she was actually just very good with me and my questions. You know, I was a very inquisitive kid. I asked questions about a lot of things. Um, and I was learning about, as I was learning about science, I was also learning about philosophy and seeing that they didn't really match what she was mm-hmm. saying. And so I, it was actually easy for me to question it. Right. Um, and I think I'm actually lucky that I had um, grown up on a religion that was so easy to question and so right. easy to disprove yeah, that absolutely. It, it allowed me to kind of click out of it and say, Okay, no. Like I realized that that's not the mm-hmm. truth. That so can't how, how old were you when you think you actually said, "Okay, this, this is not for me question. anymore"? It's a slow pro. Yeah. A lot of people think that being some people being an atheist or becoming an atheist is like a, just a decision. And for me, it was never a decision. It was it, it was it was it was an intellectual finish line. Yeah. you know, it was it took like a long finish line. Too. Yeah, it, it took me probably four years of sort of questioning to, to kind account. of be like, okay, no, I actually I actually feel like an atheist is something that describes me well. Yes. Yes, I agree. Totally. I could not pin down an age. I think maybe like 11, 12, 13, something like that. Um, And, and I mean, that's something that ended up influencing the rest of my life as well. As you can imagine, now I had this thing to worry about death, Right. right? That was something that I've been told I would never have to experience. And all of a sudden I have to deal with it and on my own too, right? Like before I had my parents to support me and my beliefs and my fears and stuff. But yeah. now you kind of have to be on your own because, hey, I believe something different than they do. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of just an existential angst for a while. And then science. It's, it's incredible. You know, I just, I think my parents gave me a lot of liberty on the internet. They allowed me to explore it on my own. And after, you know, failing through this way to explain the universe, I yearned for a better explanation. Right. And I started watching physics lecture series. There's one fantastic one called... Uh, physics for future presidents it's a uc berkeley course it's not difficult they, they they do everything conceptually no math at all it's just a conceptual explanation of all of physics essentially and it's incredible and i grew up on that and that led me to carl sagan and then to richard Feynman, some you know richard dawkins some yeah. of these okay. big science thinkers and communicators and that became my worldview right um and i also saw in that power um i know that sounds kind of weird but um the potential for a way around this existentialism that I was fearing death. And, and perhaps because I saw with Ted talks as a young kid that they're touting that in the future, a lot is going to happen. 
then maybe with science and in my future, that can happen in the right way. And with my influence, with me trying my best to help that effort, then maybe it can actually come to fruition within my lifetime. I remember at first I was thinking about, um, you know, looking into the brain, like there must be, okay, maybe there's a part of the brain you can just transplant to another body. And then all of a sudden, boom, you've got an entire young body. And now you just got to worry about that little part of the brain, whatever, holy shit, look at that. You're 20 again. Um, and, you know, people have thought about partial brain transplants, but yeah. it's super complicated. Or head transplants. Or head transplants. You know, yeah. you know there, was, uh, there was two head transplants that were done on uh, chimpanzees. Did you ever hear about this? I heard about that, yeah. A uh, Russian crazy guy. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, the, I think the, the, the one chimp lived for like seven days. Seven days after, right? And, uh, I mean, the, the, it's got to be so – because even if you transplant the head successfully – just to be able to feed it because I mean, like you're transplanting everything, like the arteries, the esophagus, yep. the the uh, the bone, obviously. Like, I'm surprised the immune system ball. didn't kill itself. I I don't know how the hell. Yeah. They, they I mean, clearly, and these were not sanctioned. Obviously, this, this guy was a sort of a rogue scientist, but a smart one. His his kid actually is a doctor as well, like a super mainstream, like very smart. Yeah leader in his field doctor who's who talks about it openly and it's actually you can see the video on youtube it's pretty crazy wow. they have pictures and stuff of it wow it's, it's insane but yeah the um the, the whole empowerment that you touched on there it is interesting i think uh, it, it, it does sort of there is that commonality um with most people especially people who are very religious and people who are very um scientific and exploratory the commonality there um is that they both are yearning to understand something yes. better they're, they're looking through it through a different lens and i would argue that one lens is extremely more useful than the other obviously um but they're both yearning for something they both really want answers and uh so i totally get that power thing man because you know i always i, I always subscribe until i was probably about um 18 or 19 i would have called myself a catholic um but even then i was questioning it and uh, i remember like i was very into the idea of like really like you know heaven was i, I wanted to go there i actually um i i, I lost my virginia when i was like 16 or something like that and i, I actually stopped having like se- I, I stopped having sex for like three years because i was like fuck i'm actually worried about going to hell i really was I, that's how worried i was like i really was yearning for answers there and but when you start transitioning and finding this other thing, that not only not only does it give you answers, science, but it, it but it made sense. You know, it, 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 religion, no matter how much how into it I was, I never felt like good about it. I always felt guilty. I was feeling like I could never actually live like this. Yeah. Then you look at the scientific part of it, and you're like, this is not only does this make sense, but like it fucking it gives you the same thing. It gives you a very cool way to understand the universe and it actually, it actually helped me to accept that um there are certain things that you can't know and you can't change or that you if you don't know it you're allowed to say i don't know yeah. whereas in religion it's a lot more like no like jesus says this um god said this the bible says this your yeah. priest says this yeah. whereas in science it's like you know um how, how was like how how did matter come to be you don't necessarily have to know that. You don't, You can say, I don't know, but hey, we're working on it. And until I find a reason to believe in this, I'm not going to believe in it. So I think that I think there's, a, there's an interesting parallel there, the, the feeling of power that you get from science. Absolutely. It's, it definitely helped me too. 
Um, so you got into um, so you got into science a lot, and you really wanted so you looked at the partial dr- uh, brain transplant. So that is probably what got you into biology. When you were in high school, did you know you wanted to get into science already? Yes. So I picked the high school that I picked because I, I thought it had probably a better program, okay. and I knew that I'd be able to uh, you know do well there. Um, and I, it was the transition between grade 10 and 11 that was very important for me. I, I didn't do very well before. Well, sorry, I never did poorly, but I, I just didn't care as much and I didn't try very hard. Mm-hmm. And then going into grade 11, it, the, you know, that summer, all these thoughts occurred to me and I thought, wow, look at that. With science, I can make it happen. And the only way to make it happen in science is to impress people and to, to say, look, I can put the energy and the effort. And of course, that translated into me just kind of like, oh, if I put all my energy into it, apparently I can get scholarships and, and do that thing. Yeah, that makes sense because then I'll be able to follow this dream. Um, and so, you know, that year I kicked it up a notch. And then, of course, that meant that I, I could go to Waterloo. Um, and the entire time, of course, my perception of how I was going to, you know, what kind of science I would use to empower me to potentially escape right. death. Um, evolved, and I think molecular biology became my focus because it seemed like that made the most sense, right? Like changing things at a genetic level is, is I think, where the answer is going to lie, yeah. um, as opposed to doing some kind of a crazy transplant. Um, although it might be a combination of the two. Right. Um, where did you? Uh, where, where are you from, by the way? Kingston. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I grew up in Kingston. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then. Uh, you know, Waterloo is an innovative university, but it's not a huge biology university. There are a lot of other, a lot of other bigger faculties. Um, and uh, then iGEM, I'm not sure if you've, you've heard of that. No, so that's, uh, it's actually pretty cool. So the, it, it started with um, a bunch of people trying to create a standardized repository of genetic elements okay. so that people could play with them. Essentially just, you know, say, hey, if I can add the, you know, the go button plus the code of it, plus the end of this guy and combine them in different ways, then I can produce different results. So are these different sequences of people are like, yeah, sequences so of DNA. Like one of them codes for a protein that gro- glows green. One of them codes for a protein that will react this way when this other molecule is there. Okay. Um, so they're like genetic building blocks. Okay. Um, and they call it the, uh, they call it bio bricking. So bricks and they have standard genetic elements on either side and you can tie them together. Um, Anyway. So what are you doing with these? Are you using like CRISPR to like put them in this shit or like how does it work? Yeah. So that's the whole point of the competition is that each university's team comes up with a different project every year yeah. uh, and, and says, okay, I've, th- I've thought of a clever way to combine these elements with these elements to produce this awesome result. Is it typically done in, is this in mice or is this in like no, 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 it's, cells or like? It's typically bacteria. bacteria. Sorry, I should have okay, made that yeah. clear. Okay. Bacteria, yeast, and sometimes bigger cells like human cells or, okay. or any kind of okay. mammalian cells. Yeah. Uh, but bacteria are great because they're like these pre-made nanomachines. They've yeah. already got the chassis going. You just have to... And they reproduce so quickly that you can see the changes that you want to see quickly. That's right. right? Yeah. That's right. Um, so I'll give you an example. Last year, um, I, I designed a project to uh, insert um, the sequence that would allow um, a plant to defend itself against a virus. Okay. Um, and you could change little bits of the sequence in the plant yeah. to match little bits of sequence in viruses that you knew were going to infect it. And then that gave the plant a protection against those viruses. Like an immunity. Like a, a bit of an immunity. You're basically giving it like a genetic flu shot. Yeah. Like literally a genetic flu shot. Okay. Um, wow. That would have been a good name. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was also cool. And then, uh, 
Yeah, randomly the idea came to me that preserving young cells might be nice. Velocity is a cool incubator on campus. They right. uh, they incubate startups. Um, and you know, at first I thought it would just be maybe a Kickstarter. Yeah. You know, like hey, let's let's um, let's, see what let's just see if people are interested in this at all. Yeah. Right. Like it seems like more people than me might be interested, and in I could fund just creating this little thing quickly. Right. Um, but because we have velocity, and because they have you know twenty five thousand dollars, you can win. Then it seemed like okay. Let's actually do this. Right. Do it right. Get a bunch of money first. Get investors, whatever. Then put it on Kickstarter and and see where it goes. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, that's that. And so, did you did you get the fund? Did you get twenty five grand? Did I did. You, so you got twenty five grand. That's yeah. fantastic. And so where 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 are you guys at now? So are you guys are you are you guys you guys aren't taking samples yet? You guys are basically um you guys are having people. Are you taking samples right now or no? No. No, so you guys are having people reserve spots for that. Yeah, people are we're reserving spots for people in the lab itself. We're optimizing, so that means that you know we're we're just experimenting on ourselves essentially, right? Okay. Like taking our own cells, freezing them in these different conditions, those yeah. different conditions, thawing them, seeing how do they look. Like, yeah. can we improve it this way? Can we improve it that way? Can we make it more efficient this way or that way right. to bring down the cost? Okay, um, and the, the 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 beautiful benefits of what the way you guys are doing it is that you can essentially test completely ethically on human cells yeah. because you're just taking cheek cells for myself. You're, you're, you're doing, you're doing whatever you want. Yeah. And so that is beautiful because in so many different areas of, uh, especially in um, the study of aging itself, um, you have to work at first on mice or whatever, because you're, you're, you're basically, uh, doing things and you're not gonna, you're not sure how it's going to affect them, but you're just taking yourself out of your, you're not affecting your body at all. You're just taking cells. Mm-hmm. So um, that is actually, that, that, that's really cool that you can do that. And I, I bet you that must accelerate research on some level compared to if you were, if you were working with mice, you have to go through trials and then prove that it's safe enough to do on humans where now yeah, you're saying, as long as you, as you, once you get the result you want, you can just start essentially, yeah. I guess. Right. Is that, is that right in saying that or no? Um, no, you're right. Like yeah. the science of cryopreservation has been around for you know decades. It right. is a pretty well ironed thing. It's not like there are little innovations to be made here, or big innovations, I should say. Um, there are maybe little optimizations, but that's about it. Okay. You know, then it's ready. Um, like I'm already contacting manufacturers to create the actual kits, the kits themselves right. okay. with you know return address on them, so right. you know people would go on the website and pay an amount. We send the kit to them, and it already has everything ready. You just have to put it back in your post office, right. and it goes back to us. Yeah, so aside from the science, is also just the practical um, production side of the whole thing that you got to figure out. So um, if you could give, again, like, your best estimation, how long um, before you'll be taking real human like cells? Like actual people's cells? Yeah, how long do you think? I mean, so for people in Waterloo, Kitchener, uh-huh. um, by the fall. Oh, oh, really? That quickly? Yeah. So wow. we want to have okay. we want to have beta testers. So that's to say, you know, we've designed this kit, but the instructions are kind of complicated, right? Like you right. still have to take out a toothbrush, brush your teeth yeah. this way, do that, do that, put them right. back together. So we want to, you know, people will come in person to our lab. Yeah. We'll give them the kit, and it'll be a good way for us to validate what we've designed as something that works. I see. And we'll also get our first customers that way. Right. And then uh, in the beginning of 2017 is when we'll actually launched to to just kind of like everybody just mm-hmm. the internet at large and right. that's when we're going to do most of our marketing and kickstarter and all of that right. um to try to get traction that way uh sorry it, the funny thing that happened is that i had an interview with somebody from uh entrevester okay. it's a magazine for startups 
Uh, and of course, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, just give me a brief idea of like when you think you're launched, kind of like what you did. Mm-hmm. And what they did is then they titled their article, Acorn Cryotech Plans Launch, uh, Fall 2016, Early 2017. And we're like, fuck, okay, well. Now you have to, now you have that, to do it. Yeah, right? you guys got to meet that timeline now. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of nice because it's like a fire on your ass to get it done. Yeah. No, it's Pressure is good in some ways, man. And, I mean, and what's 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 the worst? If you, if you end up, even if you delay it a year, what's the worst that can happen? Really, I mean, um, the worst that can happen is somebody else does it. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely a. That's, that's, so, is this? I mean, is there anything you can patent about this or no? That's a good question. Um, yeah. So I'm looking into a business um, methods patent, okay. which uh, although they're harder to get, it would literally give me a monopoly on the on just literally the business plan. I don't think I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, somebody from the Canadian Patent Office and some other like legal patent yeah. people, um, but I, that would be awesome. Otherwise, not really. You know, it's not like you can patent the idea of cryopreservation or right, cryopreserving cells. So could you could you, uh, you patent, you patent the kits? kits? But like. You know, you could just create a kit that's slightly different. Right. right it's, okay. it's not like. Yeah, and uh, it, it would it also be. Uh, how expensive is the uh, patent? Is it pretty expensive? Yep. So you can file a provisional patent for something like uh, two thousand okay. dollars. Um, so that just gets the lawyers to write it up and they put it into the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have eighteen months from then to file the actual patent, which is more like two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. 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 And you might not get it, right? Or no. Uh, like if, if you're filing, if you file a provisional, then yeah. you're very likely to get it. But it, it, I don't, I don't think it's. Uh, I'm actually not sure. Because I'm not sure. Like if it's patent pending and you spent two hundred thousand dollars on it, could it fail and you just wasted two hundred thousand dollars and you'll never get that back because the patent didn't go through? Oh, I have no idea how that works. I'm not actually. sure either. I, I think. Whether the patent would work or not would be determined at the patent uh, provisional. I see. Oh, I see. So you wouldn't do two hundred thousand until. No, and I think the two hundred thousand is for like people just writing it out, putting it in the registry, making okay. copies here, doing that. So you're not okay. So that so the two okay. That's that's not as bad as I thought. Then. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. It's um, a good question though. I think. I think yeah. Well, it's, it's, Let's cross uh, our fingers for the business methods patent. Yeah. But the thing about patents is that it doesn't even really matter because. Um, unless you have a lot of money and a lot of clout, you know, patents just give you the ability to take action on other people. It's right. not like there are people out there that are going around governing all the patents and shutting down companies for you. Yeah. Um, you have to go and physically do it yourself. I never thought about that. So yeah. Unless you are, unless you're a prod to sell. Like it, it, yeah, there, there are certain patents that, there are certain patents that do matter. Like I know GoPro's patent is very important and their patent is up in a couple of years, I believe. And that's a lot of companies are really excited because, GoPro essentially has a monopoly on that. That's why they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine if, like, you know, um, if uh, Apple got ho- a hold of like a camera like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, some patents can be very important. But I know what you mean. Like, if, if you're if you're going around the world, look, it, it's, it's every single country, every China. single developed country. Somebody's yeah, gonna do it in China. In China, what are you gonna do? Like, I've already talked with some people from China. They emailed me randomly, like, "Hey, we're interested in your business model. Like, can we talk?" I talked with them. And, you know, maybe making a partnership with them would be nice because, you know, I get a head start in China, even yeah. if it's other people doing it, but like somebody else is going to do it in China like, yeah. right yeah. after we do. It's true. Fuck, uh, they might even, they might be fucking spies or something like that. Spies. I, I wouldn't be that surprised, man. I, so if the value of patents is not in that you can actually kind of hold a monopoly, 
uh, it's that investors really like them. Right. That like yeah. Actually, that's a good. You know, if you ever watch like Dragons, there. So that's their first. That's right. It's their first question is it, is it patent? Do you have any patents yeah. on a technology kind of company? Right. Uh, but there are two ways to go better. Right. It's not just patents that give you value. Value can also come from having an established customer base. Right. So if you're somebody like Facebook, you didn't really have patents, but they had a growing number of users and it was huge and that in itself was a value. So if, if we can be kind of like the face of people preserving themselves for this reason, and then other right. companies are saying, oh, we are the this of that, then right. we've already won. You guys need to be the gold standard. That's right. Well, yeah, the gold standard and the name that people think of. Right, yeah. You guys gotta be Facebook. Don't be don't be MySpace. Don't be MySpace. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot different than those kind of companies. Yeah, that's actually really cool. I I, I can't. Uh, I have so many other like every every time I think I always think of a new question every time <laughs> I'm uh, we're, we're like talking here. Um, so how does someone um how does someone reserve a spot uh for your kit. Can you, can you do that now? Is that possible? That's right. And it's only $5. It's five bucks. Okay. So you go to acorncryotech.com. Acorncryotech.com. Okay. Yeah. And you just, um, it gives, you know, you scroll down to about the middle of the page. Um, and yeah, you can just through PayPal, you, know, you put your credit card information and then nice, you put $5 down. As soon as we launch, you'll be the first person that we go to and say, Hey, here's discounted pricing. And the, the first opportunity to get yourselves in there right away. Okay. You can imagine there's going to be a lot of people that kind of, you know, the arc of adoption, right? There's like the early adopters, there's the late majority or early majority and late majority. that kind of yeah. thing. So the late majority people are all going to have to wait another like two years, three years, maybe before they freeze their cells. And even in that time, you know, they're losing quality. So right. it makes sense for people to want to get their cells in the, in the freezer sooner. That makes sense. Makes total sense. That's a, uh... God damn it! This has been really cool. Yeah. Um. All right. I think. Um. I think we'll actually wrap it up there. We got. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? So, like, what? What? What is the biggest reason if, if, for people out there? What's the biggest reason why they should freeze themselves? What? What? What do you think? If you could just wrap it up and then surmise that. What? What's the biggest reason? Because if when you turn seventy, you you will. I mean, there's there's kind of a game you're playing now, which is similar to Pascal's wager. It's like, okay, I could just not freeze my cells, and then what happens when I'm 70? Uh, either the technologies don't come along and young cells weren't valuable, fine, whatever, then I'm going to die anyway. The technologies do come along, and right. I didn't preserve my cells, I am going to be very, very frustrated with myself. Right. And then you look at it the other way. Let's say you did preserve your cells. The, the fact is that if you preserve your cells, you're opening yourself up to possibilities that are simply going to be entirely closed for you if you don't preserve you don't them. There's just there's so much that we'll be able to do, and I think that the risk is is small enough. It's it's not that expensive to do it. Um, right. It's going to be something like maybe forty fifty dollars a year, wow. which which is not very expensive for people at all. And so that's just maintenance costs for having the cryo um, freezers maintained. Right? That's right. right yeah. And I, I feel like the trade off between that. And the possibility that you could literally extend your life, it yeah. seems menial. That's a menial kind of you know, question to ask. But. Uh, I, I can't think of a better reason than that. Uh, <laughs> guys, if you're interested, uh, please go to, what was the website again? Acorncryotech.com. Acorncryotech.com. I am going to be a customer uh, myself as soon as uh, I get out of here. And uh, Steven, I got to thank you again for coming in, buddy. Seriously, yeah. this has been really cool. 
And um, you know, is there any, uh, can any people uh, do you have to have Twitter or anything? Facebook or yeah, if you just you know Twitter Acorn Cryotech, Facebook Acorn Cryotech, Acorn Cryotech people uh, sign up and uh, live a long time. You fuck, let's go. All right, <laughs> and um, all right, we'll see you guys later. That was fun, cool man. All right.